Welcome to the Home Birth After Cesarean podcast. Due to the rate of unnecessary C-sections, the lack of support, and limited options for VBAC moms in the hospital, more and more women are choosing to have their VBAC babies at home. This podcast was created for women to share and listen to stories of home birth after cesarean. I'm your host, Rachel Garrett. Today we're chatting with Christina and she is going to go through her two birth stories with us. So Christina, do you just want to give us a little bit of an introduction to who you are? Sure. Um, So my name is Christina. Um, I'm a stay-at-home mom to two boys. I've got um, my first son, his name is Jaden. He actually just turned two uh, about a month ago. And then my second son name um, is Miles and he actually just turned five months last week. So um, they are about 20 months apart. Um, I'm married to my college sweetheart and his name is Justin and we both live in uh, Northern Virginia and kind of like the suburbs um, outside of Washington, DC. I also co-own a wedding planning business. So that keeps me pretty busy with two boys and the business. Um, it's called Happily Hitched. And we take a marriage focused approach to planning to the planning process to really assist um, our couples in preparing not only for their wedding day, but also for their future marriage as well. So that's super important to us. Um, and then I also do want to note that um, I am Black. <laughs> so uh, I just wanted to, you know, I'm hopeful that my story and sharing um, today will also help encourage other women of color in particular to consider home birth as an option as well. Awesome. So yeah, wherever wherever you want to begin, you just take us there. Sure. So Let's see. So my husband and I, I'll just kind of start way, way back. Um, my husband and I met in college. Like I said, um, we both attended James Madison University in Virginia, and uh, we dated for seven years before we got married in 2017. And then it was a few weeks, um, a few weeks shy of our first wedding anniversary. I discovered I was pregnant in April of 2018 uh, with our first baby. And I, I don't know how many people, I haven't used it in years, but I don't know how many people um, use the Fertility Friend app. Uh, I did, you know, we had, we had um, you know, discussed, we both wanted kids and all of that. And um, one of the things that I wanted to kind of know more about was how does my body like work and my cycles and all of that. So I did use that app um, to just kind of start tracking my cycles um, so I could better understand what my body was doing and all of that. Um, so that whenever we were ready to start trying that I kind of had a better sense of um, how my body worked. And so it was a time where we weren't preventing, but weren't necessarily trying. And so it was pretty um, shocking when I you know, became pregnant and saw the two lines and all of that stuff. Um, it was definitely a shock, but I guess you can't be too shocked when you're also not preventing as well. So that's uh, how that got started. Um, and uh, with my first pregnancy, my um, with my first son Jaden, it was a really pretty easy pregnancy. Um, we were actually uh, team green, so we did not um, find out the gender ahead of time. Um, that was mostly um, something that my husband wanted to do. I, as I mentioned, I'm, I'm a wedding planner. I like to plan things, like you know, like ahead of time what things um, are gonna be, and so. Um, while I did want to find out, my husband did not. And so we we just said, like, there's no way that one of us can know. Like, at some point, I was either going to slip up or something like that. So we just agreed that we <laughs> were not going to, yeah, <laughs> that we were not going to find out. So we waited for that and made it a really nice surprise. 
Um, but yeah, I, I never had any morning sickness. There were probably, you know, probably only three weeks total that I ever felt nauseous. Like everything was just pretty good. I had, you know, probably a handful of food aversions. It was just a really um, easy pregnancy, thankfully, and no complications. Everything was healthy and low risk. And so um, it was actually, so I found out I was pregnant pretty early. I think it was like right at, you know, the four weeks, like when you can barely tell that you're pregnant. Um, and so I think it was like when I was five weeks pregnant, I actually, I had done some research online. I had found um, this birth center that was nearby and they were having a Q&A night. Um, and so basically you could come and get a tour of the birth center, ask some questions. Um, they would give you answers, things like that, just kind of get to know the birth center a little bit better. And so um, I scheduled, a, you know, put it on our calendar to schedule a time to go visit the birth center. My husband and I went and um, it was, it was such a great experience. It was something that I was kind of trying to think back, like what made me look up a birth center and, you know, all of that. But I think uh, I was trying to remember back to when I was younger and I don't know if you like remember that TV show, A Baby Story that was on TLC. Mm -mm. Um, I've never seen that. <laughs> <laughs> well, so there is this show called A Baby Story and it basically would talk about um, like mothers and their pregnancy, like in the final weeks of their pregnancy, them actually delivering their baby and then like, you know, probably the first few days at home. And I would watch that show all the time. I was so intrigued by it. I thought I was going to be an obstetrician. Like I just was so interested in, you know, all these babies being born. Um, and so I remember from that show that there were women who had water birth. No one in my family had ever had a water birth, at least that I can, that I know of. But I just remember like, oh, water birth could be a thing. And so I wanted to kind of explore that when I did find out, find out that I was pregnant um, and just kind of knowing that there were other options out there, even though people around in like my circle probably weren't talking about it, but I just kind of wanted to see what else is out there? What other options do I have? I didn't ever feel like going the route of having my baby in a hospital was the only way to do it or what I had to do. So it was really great just kind of learning more about the birth center and what they had to offer too. But yeah, when, when we did go, I just felt like there was this sense of like empowerment, allowing a mother to kind of take ownership of her care, um, making it feel like it was more of a collaborative experience um, where we were kind of working together with the midwife um, to figure out what was best for both best for mom and best for baby. And so um, I felt really comfortable. It was a warm and really friendly environment. But one of the things that they were really clear about was that um, the birth center and like who they uh, did care for in terms of the women that they saw needed to be low risk, like low risk, healthy pregnancies. So again, me being like, okay, I've got to have this all planned out and make sure that we're good to go. I knew that this was going to be something that we were going to have to pay out of pocket for, for most of most of the care there. And it was something that I, I wanted to make sure like, okay, if we're making this investment into this type of care, I want to make sure that I am low risk. Like I didn't want to just assume that I'm low risk and then find out, oh, I'm not, and then have to go to an OB um, and transfer out of their care. So I actually started my um, pregnancy care with an OBGYN in the area. And I honestly did not enjoy my experience at all. Um, I really think it had to be more with the specific provider that I saw while I was going there. 
Um, but there were just like no warm fuzzies. It was like quick in and out, um, felt really cold and pretty sterile to me. And so, you know, I, I liked that I, with the midwives, I could have a longer, like, you know, hour long appointment versus a 15 minute, um, you know, kind of pretty quick in and out um, with the OB that I was seeing. And so I, I did continue my care there for about three months, um, just to kind of make sure I made it through my first trimester, that things were good, um, that, you know, nothing came up with any um, complications or anything. And then at that point is when I did, you know, switch care back to the birth center and then began um, actually preparing for home birth. So I wanted to choose a home birth specifically because I am totally like I'm all about the vibe that I get. And so I knew that if this was going to be something I was going to be able to do, like you know, having my baby and all that, I wanted to do it in the place I felt most comfortable. And so for me, that was my house. I wanted to be in my home. I wanted to be in my own space. I didn't want to have all of the rules of the hospital kind of being on the clock. I really wanted the time that I knew that my body would likely need to be able to do what it needed to do without um, feeling this pressure or feeling like there's this expectation to kind of do it in 24 hours, which is kind of the sense that I got from um, from if I had to go like that, that route of um, birthing in the hospital. The other thing that I did take into consideration when we were deciding between, well, do we do the birth center? Do we do a home birth? My house is actually also four minutes away from the hospital. So that actually put us closer to the hospital in the event of, emer in, in the event of an emergency uh, than if I were to be at the birth center. So we kind of you know, talked about all of those things with my husband and everything and um, weighed the options. And I, I really just felt like being in a familiar setting was really important to me. It was most comfortable. And so that's kind of what set us on the path of doing a home birth. Let's see. So while everything in my pregnancy was really normal and uneventful, I one of the things that I did not know the first time around was that the positions that you rest in every day really matters. Yes. So that was something yeah. I learned after my <laughs> pregnancy too. <laughs> yep. So um, I just want to say like for any pregnant women listening right now, if you are leaning back, if you're reclining, like Please stop what you're doing, get in an upright position, lean forward, <laughs> like all the things that like I wish somebody had told me the first time around. So I went my whole pregnancy just kind of like plopping on the couch in whatever position I felt like I reclined all the time. Um, and ultimately, I had no idea how much of an impact that this would have on my first birth or the position of the baby. Now, I obviously know like it's not the best to recline all the time. It can you know, really affects the, the way that your position or the way that your baby is positioned in your body. And so that's, you know, something I, I know now. But um, when I did discover that I, that my baby was in a posterior position, I was about, I think, 35 or 36 weeks, which to me, I was like, oh, this is why I keep feeling all of those kicks, like in the front of my belly nonstop. Uh, so I actually started chiropractic care at 36 weeks. Um, the birth center that I, I was going to actually had a chiropractor um, that was in the building, shared the same office space. And so I went to see that chiropractor, had a few sessions, you know, was really hopeful that we would be able to help baby turn. Um, and also they told me about spinning babies. And that's when I learned about that was doing all the cat cows I could possibly do, like staying on my hands and knees as, as often as I could. And then I just kind of kept up with all of that until I actually went into labor. 
So um, my due date with my first was December 31st. So he was you know, around New Year's Eve. And it was around December 28th that I began having contractions um, that after a few hours, they kind of fizzled out until the following day. And then in the afternoon of the next day, the contractions came back and then they basically never stopped until my son was born. And I say that all because I actually, it was a, it was a full six days before he was born. By the third day of having contractions, and I just want to mention, like, it was not prodromal labor. It There was never, after the first day, things kind of fizzled out and stopped. But once on the third day, like, once things, or I'm sorry, once on the second day, things picked back up. My contractions just kept going and kept going and kept going until um, my son was born. So one of my midwives was actually in the birth center over the weekend when I had been going on day three of nonstop contractions. She had just attended um, attended another birth and offered, you know, hey, if you want to come into the birth center, I can check you out and just kind of see what's going on. So I um, went to the birth center with my husband, found out that I was dilated to two centimeters. And um, after that, obviously, like, discouraged because I'm like what the heck I this is day three why am I only at two mm-hmm. centimeters um but you know obviously you know, there's not much you can do at that point so we went back home and basically waited for something more to happen you know waiting for my contractions to get stronger and more consistent and I was having excruciating back labor the contractions themselves were intense and then like once the contraction was done there still wasn't any relief because I just had this lingering back pain in between contractions. So that was not fun. But I knew like I could tell that my body was trying to turn my baby into a better position, like using these contractions to try to get him better positioned. And so my body was like working really hard to do this, even though I hadn't progressed much in terms of dilation. So I spent the better part of the next few days, um, alternating between sitting up in my sitting upright on my couch and like leaning over my ottoman um just kind of propped over it and with on my knees um I would try to get 10 minute naps in between contractions um but it really felt like I was never going to go into active labor one thing that I do kind of look back on and I'm like oh that was probably something that I probably shouldn't have done was I did sit still a lot um, I would get up and try different exercises every now and then to, you know, try to help with positioning of the baby and things. But for the most part, I was um, either like laying over my ottoman or sitting up instead of kind of moving around. And I think if I had gotten up and moved around a bit more, it would have allowed my baby, you know, some more room to shift. I was just like, I'm just trying to deal with the pain. I'm just going to sit here and just you like probably get just through get this. exhausted too. Yes. I was very exhausted. Um, I, you know, you know, you like prepare for labor and you're like, oh, this is, these are all the things that I'm going to do. I'm going to have like the candles lit and the nice music and I'm going to be with my husband and all this stuff. Like it was none of that. I was just like, I need to be a hermit crab. Leave me alone. Don't talk to me. I need like in a quiet, dark space by myself. So I really spent the first few days like in some corner of our house by myself, just kind of like, going inwards and just trying to get through it on my own. Um, And so I did that for multiple days. Um, I was not sleeping. I was barely remembering to eat and drink. And so you can imagine that that is is not a good, it's not helpful when you're like going through labor and it's really exhausting. So 
I just couldn't sleep through the contractions though. I would probably get like two, two and a half hours of sleep a night max. And then just trying to like take naps as I could just kind of dozing in and out. Um, but by day five, it was actually New Year's Day that at that point. And so I was like, okay, something's got to give. Like I, I have been texting my midwives and my doula for the past few days. Like I, I was like, does, when am, am I ever going to have this baby? And they're like, we're so sorry, but like, yes, it will happen eventually. It's just sometimes, you know, things like this happen and, and it's, we're really sorry, but like, just keep going. And it was just kind of the not knowing, like I could, I could get through something if I knew where the end would be. Mm-hmm. Like if I only had to hold on for just like another day, if I only have to hold on for another like couple hours, but it was just this like sense of this is endless. This is never going to end. I'm going to be pregnant forever. This baby's never going to come out. And so I just didn't know when the end was coming. And that was, it was hard to mentally kind of stay in the mindset that I needed to be to kind of do the work that I knew was still ahead of me. So um, on New Year's Day, I actually had my cousin come over just to be a distraction and kind of get my mind off of things. And so it was, she spent the day with us. And then um, by 6.55 p.m., and I know that because I had to go back to a text message, um, I had come back from the bathroom was in the process of sitting down on the couch. And like, as I was going to sit down, there's just this huge gush of water. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like, obviously knowing that my water had broken. And so from then on, it was like pure adrenaline rush. Like, I was like, okay, my baby's going to be here soon. This isn't going to go on forever. Um, and then, then at the same time, I felt really scatterbrained and all, all over the place. Like, okay, what do we do? Like, I don't remember any of the things that my midwife told me to do when this happens. Um, so I was really grateful to have my, my cousin and my husband there. And then at that point, my husband uh, contacted our midwives and my doula. And then they were all like, okay, we're coming over. Like, this is happening. So they arrived, um, had me doing all different types of exercises um, to get the baby to hopefully flip anterior. Um, I mean, like I was doing back bends over my birth ball at seven centimeters, you know, obviously had no epidural. So I'm like, and plus the back labor, like excruciating. But I was like, I'm going to do whatever I need to do to get this baby out. Um, the counter pressure on my sacrum felt really great um, since I did have that back labor. But it's funny, I, I think I spent most of the time in the bathrooms. <laughs> I know that my birth team was here, but I would just kind of like walk around for a little bit go hide in the bathroom for about 30 minutes, come back out, go to another bathroom for 30 minutes. That was just kind of like, I needed that quiet, like place alone to kind of just do my thing. And eventually after that, just got, you know, there was just no relief and I just needed something to kind of take the edge off. They actually filled up the birth pool um, and had me get in that for a little bit, but I had a lot of trouble not pushing, uh, not pushing too early. Um, my cervix actually got pretty swollen. Um, and when I was in the, in the birth pool, so I was really not doing well, like fighting the urge to push. I was pushing a little bit, pushing too soon. Um, my midwife checked me after I had been in the birth pool for a while and told me that I was at six centimeters. And I just, it's funny. We have, we had a birth photographer that was there for a little bit and looking back at the pictures, I saw, I was like, I know the exact moment when she told me that in the pictures, my face just like, just looked so defeated. 
I was like, there's no way I can only be six centimeters. I have been here for five days. <laughs> like this pain is excruciating. And I was like, what do you mean? I'm only at, at six centimeters. Um, you know, I was exhausted. I just wanted to sleep. And I, it was that, that point where I was like, I just knew I did not have it in me to get to 10 centimeters, however long that might take. And then once I got to 10, I still had to push, which I knew could have taken hours. I just really had nothing else to give at that point. So I had my husband actually, you know, tell the midwife to kind of give us some privacy and give us a moment. So they all went downstairs and I was on the bed at this point, just kind of stared into my husband's eyes. And I was like, I cannot do this anymore. I'm so tired. It was more pain than I could bear at that point. And I hadn't slept in days. I just didn't have energy that I knew that I needed. So um, through all of my tears, I told him that we needed to transfer to the hospital. And that ended up being around five or sorry, like somewhere between like four and 5 a.m. And I just wanted a epidural. I wanted, I wanted no more pain. I wanted my baby and I wanted him born safely um, more than I wanted my whole birth at that point. So um, my husband was like, you know, the goal here is to birth a baby. Like, however that had to happen, we just wanted a healthy baby. So um, we actually had the birth team come back in. We shared the news with them that we wanted to transfer. And um, so they all began to pack things up, asking me if I had a hospital bag ready. And I was like, a hospital bag? I was like, I'm having a home birth. Why would I have a hospital bag ready? So um, note to self, uh, something I did differently the second time around, I did have a hospital bag ready just in case. But at that point, we were just kind of like rushing around, pulling clothes off hangers, um, throwing them into a bag. And then we left our house around five something in the morning. Um, by the time we got into a room at the hospital, it was around six something. And there actually was some meconium as well. So there was a little bit, um, I think, when we were at home. And by the time we got to the hospital, there was a lot more um, by the time that we got into the room that they put us in. So um they actually set me up in bed. Um, I got the epidural. They, the nurses put a peanut ball between my legs, um, would keep flipping me from side to side. And then there were a whole lot of reasons why I didn't want to have to go to a hospital. But I don't know for anyone who's seen like the business of being born. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I had watched that um, documentary before when I was pregnant. And I think you know, not, I, this is definitely not to bash doctors. They are, I definitely believe like when you do need to transfer and when you do need that care, when like you're not low risk, it is so important to have a team of professionals who's there to take care of you when it's beyond, you know, the scope of a midwife. And so, but I just kind of had in my head, I'm like, I don't want to be here. Like, I don't want to be rushed. I don't want to be on the clock. I don't want somebody pushing a C-section on me. And it was like, the worst nightmare when we got to the hospital and I was met with this on-call um, OB since my midwives, they you know did not have privileges, could not provide care for me at the hospital, but they still came with me just to kind of be that support. And so we were just, you know, I had to have whoever the on-call doctor was at the time. So the particular doctor who was available had terrible bedside manners, just awful. Um, so you can imagine after I've been through five going on six days of labor. I haven't eaten. I'm tired. Um, they're still not allowing me to eat at the, <laughs> at the hospital. 
Um, and then you're met with this person who he was immediately pushing a C-section from the very beginning. Um, he wouldn't even shake my midwife's hand. He was kind of like, it was definitely this, this attitude of, oh, you tried to have a home birth and now you're here and now I have to save you. Like it was definitely that mm. vibe. I mean, he literally had a sandwich in his hand when he was talking with his mouth full to me about like, just have the C-section. Like it was just no big deal. Wow. Um, yeah. It was, and while it was you're like hungry too, like <laughs> yes. that's the first thing that sticks out in my <laughs> head is you don't eat in front of a laboring woman who is hungry and can't eat. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so, um, that was kind of what we were met with when we first got there. But, um, even with the epidural, there was still so much pressure. I was still fighting the entire time that I was in the hospital not to push. Cause I wanted to, you know, try to give my body a chance to for the swelling to go down that was on my cervix. But yeah, I, I mean, I basically, when the OB was like, oh, you need to get a C-section, I ignored him. <laughs> and um, I you know, was playing my gospel music. I was trying to get in the right mindset. I had my family praying over me. I was like speaking over my body out loud, like that I could dilate enough to let my baby pass through. I was just trying to do all the things that I knew to do now that I was in the situation, like holding on to my husband, like kissing him, anything that, you know, to get the oxytocin flowing to help me naturally progress more. My, my doula actually gave me a comb to hold, hold into my hand to act as like acupressure. And then I did at one point have a nurse who was wonderful. She came in, um, checked me, said that I was dilated to eight, somewhere between like eight and nine centimeters. So I was like, oh, okay, like progress, it's slow progress, but at least it's something. And then a little while later, the on-call doctor actually walked back in basically said that he didn't believe I had progressed very much. He checked me so that I was only six, seven, like somewhere between six and seven centimeters and that he needed to operate. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like this lady over here just told me I was eight to nine. Now you're saying like I'm somewhere between six and seven. And so I told him, I was like, before I agree to any operation, I want a second opinion. And at that point he nearly lost it. Like he was so unprofessional. He questioned me and my husband as to why we'd want a second opinion. Um, and then he huffed and literally threw up his hands in the air and left the room. Um, he did not want to find another doctor to check my cervix to see if I just like, see if they had gotten a comparable number. Um, and so the, the nurse that I was just mentioning, she came back in, she was wonderful um, and told me like, you know, if you want a second opinion, I'm going to find you a doctor in this hospital who's going to give you a second opinion. Good. So I, that's not yeah, like that's I, unreasonable to ask. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So I was I was so appreciative of that. Um, and of course, at the same time, like I'm knowing if I do have to have this C-section and this is the doctor that's operating on me, like I, it was trying to find a balance between I'm, I want to push back enough because I'm not going to like back down from what I want. But at the same time, he could be operating on me. And like, I, I, I kept that in my head of like, I also want to make sure that I'm like, not pissing him off to the point where he like does a horrible job on my surgery, you know, something like that. But I just didn't want anything to go wrong. So kind of like weighing both of those things in my mind. But um, eventually, they were able to find um, a doctor who came into the room, another doctor who came in, checked me, he ultimately did get the same that, you know, I think you are between six and seven. Um, and that was fine. You know, it was really just all in how he delivered the news to me that made the difference. And so I was fine with saying, okay, like we're going to go ahead with a C-section. Um, I had been in the hospital for almost 12 hours at that point. Um, there was a lot of meconium. There was 
my baby was having lots of like heart D cells that were just taking a little bit too long to kind of bounce back. And so I was like, you know, I, I've done a lot. Like I've, I feel like I've done what I can. Like, let's just do the C-section. Um, come to find out that very last minute, like literally right before they wheeled me back to the OR, my son had flipped the interior. <laughs> oh my God. And I was like, why couldn't you have done this before now? <laughs> how did they... Um, how did they figure that out? Do you know? So, so it was that doctor who came in the second one um, that told me I was somewhere between six and seven centimeters. He mentioned like, oh, and the baby's anterior. And it was, you know, something that at that point, I don't know if it was just because I was tired or what, but like nothing in me thought to say like, oh, well, he's anterior. Like, let's keep, like, let's keep trying. Like, let me see if I can, you know, go a little bit longer and dilate and progress some more. Um, I, I think it was just because of the, the way like the nurses had kind of rushed in a few times to flip me over to a different side because that position wasn't great for baby and his heart was taking too long to come back up, things like that. And I think just being tired, I just kind of was like, okay, let's just do this um, mm -hmm. and agree to the C-section. But, but yeah, it was something during my second pregnancy where somebody mentioned to me like, well, why didn't like, okay, the baby flipped, like, why couldn't you have? It was kind of waited a little bit longer I was like oh I have no idea like I didn't even didn't even cross my mind when when I was when they had mentioned that but yeah so um they willed me back for surgery um and then I I honestly don't remember a whole much or a whole lot about that time um, I'm not sure if it was because I was just so groggy or if I kind of purposely blacked some of those memories out to kind of protect me from remembering all of that but um, I just remember being in the room for a little bit, then they brought my husband in. Um, and because we didn't, uh, didn't know the gender of the baby, I kept telling everybody like my husband is going to tell me what we're having, like nobody else announced it, he's going to be the one to do it. Um, so I do remember saying that to every nurse that I could, but I didn't want anybody to slip up um, and not, you know, kind of give him that chance to, to have that moment. Um, but then the baby came out. My husband said it was a boy. Um, he peed all over the doctors. <laughs> like they, <laughs> they held, they held him up. And my husband has a picture. Literally, as I look back when when he showed me pictures, like is he peeing? Like he's like, yep, he came out peeing on the doctors. Um, and so we had him. And then I, I really again don't remember much about what happened after that. I knew that they put me into a room to recover for a while I was like where is my husband where is my baby it, it felt like it took forever um to see them and then it, that I was back there alone for a long time but um then he was born he was born on January 2nd and um my first baby weighed eight pounds and four ounces and he was 21 in inches long so it's funny because like that's not a huge baby and um I mean I'm five two so I am shorter and um, I have a shorter torso. So like my baby was all the way out in front. Like there is no room from, for no room for him to go except for straight out. Um, so when he was born, I actually do remember one of the nurses saying like, Oh, he's so big. Like, that's why you couldn't push him out. And I was like, what? But <laughs> like, I think sometimes too, the position plays more of a role than the weight, because if yeah. like being in that posterior position, it's, it's mm -hmm. a lot harder for baby to be able to do the movements that they need to do to squeeze down and out. I mean, that's. Yeah. Yeah. So that was unfortunate. Um, but that's kind of where things went um, and how 
our first son, Jaden, was born. Now, postpartum, really quickly, I I did. So I since we were planning a home birth, I had a doula who could do placenta encapsulation for me. So I, that was our plan. Like once I delivered the placenta that we would get it encapsulated and I would have that. Since we were in the hospital, we knew that the hospital had different rules that we would have to follow about all of that. And so my midwives, my doula, myself, my husband, we literally told every single doctor and every nurse that we encountered that we wanted to keep the placenta after the surgery. And so it was the hospital's policy that they were to take all of the placentas down to pathology for like inspection or proper disposal if, a, you know, if um, families weren't keeping it. And um, so they did tell me like, you know, the placenta is still going to have to go to pathology, but we're going to keep it separate. Um, your husband can come get it after the delivery. So to make a really long story short, I kept asking about where my placenta was after, um, after the surgery. And I just kept getting the run around. Like I even had a charge nurse that was on my floor suggesting that, oh, I think your husband took it home when he left the hospital. Um, he had to go home for a little bit to get some stuff. And I was like, no, I know that's not true. Like <laughs> he doesn't have it. And for anybody who doesn't know, um, when you do get your placenta encapsulated, like you have to put it on ice within, I think it's like the first two hours or so, or like put it, like make sure it's refrigerated and things so that you can be able to use it. So I started getting really angry when I had no answers about where my placenta was eight plus hours after birth and nobody seemed to know where it was. So the next day, um, my husband actually went down to the pathology department and was basically told that my placenta was placed in formaldehyde, that it was now poisonous and that I could not take it home. So my husband was mad. <laughs> And he actually told the director of the department that he was speaking to, like, okay, wait, 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 like, let's stop talking, come with me to my wife's room, and then tell her in person what happened. So they did, they came up, um, and they were like apologizing profusely saying, we're not sure what happened, but we're going to investigate and figure out what went wrong. And so, I mean, I just, I broke down crying. I told them, I was like, this was a life-sustaining organ that I grew inside of me to keep my son alive and growing for nine months. And we literally made it poisonous overnight. And so it was traumatic. Like I, just the whole experience from beginning to end, it's like, I never wanted to go into the hospital, but I needed to. And so I did, but then it was like, from the, from the time I got there, it was just thing after thing after thing that just made the whole experience so traumatic after having been in labor for so many days. So it was, it was pretty hard. I, I felt a lot of like emptiness about the whole situation. Like when I came back home, um, I actually started contracting once I entered the house, like my body was kind of reliving what I had just went through when I left the house to go to the hospital. So yeah, that was, that was pretty hard. <laughs> I'm so um, sorry. That yeah. shouldn't happen to anybody. I mean, regardless of if someone has a different opinion about anything, I mean, a home birth transferring into the hospital from a home mm -hmm. birth, placenta encapsulation, whatever it might be, you still need to be respected in the choices that you have made and respected as a person. That's mm -hmm. not, that's just not okay. Yeah. So um, it was a lot to work through. Um, and I, I did actually do a lot of work um, just trying before we, well, 
once I found out that I was pregnant with my second, um, I knew that I was like, okay, I, I need to kind of get into a better mental state about where I am. And like, in terms of processing my first birth experience, so that I wasn't taking all of that into my second pregnancy and second um, delivery. So um, with my second, um, second baby, when I found out that I was pregnant, it was actually New Year's Eve of 2019. So it was like funny, because the year before I was in labor on New Year's Eve, and this year I was finding out I was pregnant again. Um, but this time I was really determined. I was like, I'm going to do all the things that I need to do to make sure that I don't have another C-section. Of course, right when I started, you know, getting back to the gym and like being active and all of those things is when COVID hit. Um, so it shut everything down. Um, so that was pretty difficult to deal with. Um, I'm definitely that person that needs kind of group accountability when it comes to exercise. So like not having my Zumba classes or yoga to keep me motivated, um, to work out was pretty hard, but we would, you know, take a bunch of walks all the time as a family. We would try to get in 30 minute walks every day or as much as we could. But overall, that whole pregnancy, again, really healthy, pretty uneventful, um, low risk pregnancy. But I was hyper aware my whole pregnancy of everything that I was doing that might affect my baby's positioning. <laughs> uh, so I basically, I never reclined. I tried to always sit on the floor to keep good posture. Um, I did start my chiropractic care earlier this time. So instead of starting at 36 weeks, I started at 14 weeks, which was incredibly helpful. I actually didn't have like any aches or pains during my pregnancy. Um, I did not need to sleep with a giant big pregnancy pillow. Um, and I, I really only use kind of two pillows between my legs. I did the spinning babies a lot earlier. Uh, I did a few sessions of pelvic floor therapy. I mean, I was like trying to do all the things. And yet my baby still stayed persistently posterior. So I, um, I battled with the fear of having another posterior baby uh, once I started labor and like the thought of what if I need to transfer to the hospital again? And, you know, it was already enough thinking like, I don't want to go to the hospital, but since we were in this time of like COVID is still a thing. And like, when you go to the hospital, it's not guaranteed that like my doula could come with me. They were doing a lot of limiting, like how many people can be with you um, to try to limit the spread. And so I was not only fearful of just like being in the hospital, but I was fearful of not having the support that I knew that I would need um, from my doula. So I really kind of became consumed with trying to fix this problem, like fix it. I'm doing air quotes, you can't see me, but fix the problem of a posterior baby. Um, and it started stressing me out. I basically got to the point where I was too consumed with it that I actually stopped doing all the spinning baby stuff. I just kind of needed to take a break. Um, just the hearing the title of daily essentials for anybody who knows what I'm talking about. Um, that was just starting to become too, too much guilt to deal with when I wasn't you know, doing the daily exercises. And so I decided that, you know, I just need a break from all this. I'm just going to try to focus on resting more. Uh, as you can imagine, between running a business and having a one-year-old, uh, I was busy. So when I did have some downtime, I would, you know, instead try to use that time to take a nap instead of doing all these exercises um, because my body was just pretty tired. And uh, I did end up kind of near the end of my pregnancy. It wasn't for very long, but I did start experiencing some pretty bad pain where it kind of hurt in my pelvis to walk. It just kind of felt like 
each step I took that my bones were going to break. And so I did end up buying a kind of like a um, Velcro pelvic girdle type thing just to kind of lift the weight of my stomach off of my pelvis. Um, And then alternated wearing that um, each day with between like the Velcro kind, Velcro kind versus a softer, more fabric type of like belly wrap that would help keep my belly, um, belly up. And so um, I did that. And then also kind of in preparation, since I knew I wanted another home birth, um, we were going to try that again. And so I remember from the hospital, how helpful the peanut ball had been and also just kind of doing, you know, my research and watching YouTube videos and things like that. And so I, I bought a peanut butter, peanut butter, (laughs) peanut butter, peanut ball (laughs) (laughs) off of Amazon. And I would sleep with it. I would most of the time just for like naps. Occasionally I would sleep with it overnight. Um, but I would kind of use it and then, um, rest on it kind of in all fours position while watching TV. Um, my doula also sent me a tens unit in the mail that I uh, received a few weeks before my due date so that I could have that if I needed to, just kind of knowing the, the back labor that I had gone through the first time around and all of that. And actually with my last few appointments, my baby had gone from being posterior to more of like a transverse position. He was on the right side. Uh, so that was, it was good. It was not directly OP, but you know, still not interior. So um, in terms of when I went into labor, so I think it was like a week before my due date, I started having prodromal labor. I was like, oh, this is what they talk about. Like you actually have a break, like things fizzle out and then they start again. Mm-hmm. So I started going through the prodromal labor the weekend um, before uh, my due date. And um, I started doing the mile circuit. It was a Sunday going into Monday that actually made him flip for a little bit. Um, he had flipped from my right side to my left side. Like, oh, he's rotating, like things are happening. And I got really excited and I texted Medulla, like, I think he's moving. And then of course I started feeling him have hiccups back on the right side. So he had just, nope, like he went back to where he was. So that was okay. Um, and then I had my last midwife appointment on a Tuesday. And uh, my midwife actually made the suggestion that I should try evening primrose oil. Um, I had actually done some research about it myself personally, was a little hesitant um, to take it kind of earlier in my pregnancy, but I was like, okay, I'm only probably hopefully a few more days away from my due date. I felt, you know, okay with the thought of taking it for a few days versus like a couple of weeks. And so I, um, I left my appointment that day. I went to a local drugstore and picked up some and um, took it that night, uh, just vaginally. But then I also added the vitamin C as well. So one of the things I was really concerned about was knowing that, okay, if my baby is still posterior or, or like kind of malposition, not in the best position, that I didn't want the risk of my water breaking too soon um, because I knew that it was going to give my baby the cushion that he needed. Um, oh, oh, and I say he, because we did actually find out the gender of our second baby. Um, we did not wait. Uh, it was something I was like, okay, if I'm going to have two boys, I need to like mentally prepare for this ahead of time. (laughs) So, so we did find out the gender of our second son. So, um, but yeah, I knew that having my water intact for as long as possible was going to give him the best chance possible to like still have that fluid, to be able to kind of move around and get into a better position. So, um, 
my midwife telling me like, oh, well, then add some vitamin C with it as well. So hopefully that will help my main, keep my membranes from, oh, goodness, keep my membranes from rupturing prematurely. Um, so I was taking both of those. And then, um, so that was a Tuesday. And then on Friday, on September 11th, I woke up at 3 a.m. with contractions and they were not fizzling out. Um, I laid in bed through them until about 6.45 in the morning. And they were uh, about like two to three minutes apart. They only lasted about 30 seconds, but I really um, kind of stopped timing them after that. So my midwives, we had already had a discussion um, beforehand, you know, saying whenever I do start going into labor, um, probably be smart to get an adjustment at the outset, hopefully to just kind of help baby get into a good position from the beginning of my labor versus like waiting, I'm in labor and then saying, oh, there's a problem. Like now let's go to the chiropractor. So I ended up texting my chiropractor at 8 a.m. that morning saying like, hey, I'm sure you're probably booked up, but is there any way that you can squeeze me in for a quick adjustment? Um, I'm definitely in early labor. And so she's like, yep, come on in. I'll meet you at 9 a.m. So I, uh, at this point, uh, wasn't really thinking. All I knew was like, I need to get to the chiropractor now. And so I drove myself, even though I was contracting. And um, because my husband was handling our one-year-old, he was having a meltdown. And I was like, I just need to go. I just need to go to the birth center. I'm leaving. I'm not waiting for you. I'm going to go. I'll be back. <laughs> so um, I went in, I got adjusted. And then by that point, after the adjustment, whoa, like that made a huge difference. And the contractions I was having when I came in, like definitely got ramped up after that was over. So I was like, there's no way that I can drive home at this point. So I had to wait. My husband came and picked me up with our son and I was just in so much pain. I could not sit down. So um, we opened up the trunk of our truck and I got in, I was on my hands and knees. My son was in the backseat just smiling at me and laughing like, why is mommy in the trunk? <laughs> probably like, what the heck is going on? <laughs> yep. And I was just praying. I was trying to like duck down. And as I was like, I'm praying, like, please don't let us get pulled over because this is, this is not safe. <laughs> um, and so at that point, my um, my my family lives, lives nearby in the area. They came soon after we got home, picked up my one-year-old. Um, they were going to keep him until the baby was born. And at that point, I decided that I needed to lay down, um, get as much rest as I could since I um, I had never gone back to sleep after waking up at three in the morning. So I was like, okay, I'm tired. Let me get as much sleep as I can. And also just kind of knowing what I went through with my first baby, um, and the first birth, I had no idea how long this was going to take. I mean, hopefully it was not going to take another six days, but um, just not knowing, I wanted to have as much rest as I could before things got really tough. So I went upstairs, I got in bed trying to get comfortable. My husband brought me a sandwich and some Gatorade that I ate while laying on my side. I literally had the plate of food on my pillow and just trying to like feed it into my mouth as I could. And the entire time that I was in bed, I had my AirPods in. I actually did not plan this. So like when I was kind of making like the birth plan and what I wanted and all those things, I didn't have this as one of the things that I wanted, but I actually had come across um, on YouTube, uh, Bridget, I think it's Taylor or Tyler. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it correctly, but she has a um, built to birth affirmation meditation. 
And so I actually pulled those up and I was listening to them because she had like a different kind of guided meditation for each um, part, like each phase of labor that you would be in. And so I put that, put that on. I was listening to the different guided meditations, depending on what part of labor I was in. Um, I had been laying like with an, or laying in an exaggerated side lie uh, with my peanut ball in between my legs. And I was basically flipping sides every hour. Um, I was comfortable. I was so, so surprising because for my first labor, being on my back or laying down was excruciating. But for this time around, um, it was really comfortable. And so I was like, this is, this is what I'm going to do. Like, I'm going to lay on my side and she just keep flipping while I can get as much rest as I can. So um, my contractions had intensified a bit. And then I updated my doula around like 4.15 in the afternoon that my contractions had turned into somewhat of an, somewhat of an irregular pattern. They were kind of doing like a coupling effect. So I would have a contraction that was like a minute long. And then I wouldn't have another contraction for six minutes. And then um, the next contraction would be about like 30 to 45 seconds long. And then after two minutes, I'd be back to another minute long contraction. And so I'd just kind of be going through this pattern for a little bit. And um, at that point, I was like remembering my labor experience from the first birth, first birth. And I knew like, this is not a regular labor pattern. <laughs> like I had just kind of this strong urge, like, okay, I need to do something about this. Um, I wasn't, you know, didn't want to just keep laying there with that type of pattern going on. And so I got up, I did some rebozo, some inversions, sideline release. And then after all of that, I um, had my labor pattern totally change. Like it became regular again. It was super intense. And I was back to having contractions that were um, longer than a minute long that were coming probably every three to four minutes. And so that was by like 640, um, 6.40 at night. I would say my intensity of the contractions by that point were probably a good like eight out of 10. And um, I actually started having the urge to push again, like during my contractions. And I knew from my first experience, like, oh my gosh, I don't want it like this. This is what happened the first time. <laughs> like I, I started pushing too early and then it made my cervix swollen. So I was just like really trying not to push. I was like, I have no idea how many centimeters dilated I am. And of course, through the whole course of the day, like I'm texting my doula, she's saying, do you need me? <laughs> like, do you need some help? Do you want support? Do you want me to come over? I was like, oh, no, no. Like, I think I'm doing pretty good. I'm coping really well. Like, again, having the first birth experience in my mind, I didn't want anybody to come over too soon. I was like, I don't know how long we'll be here. It's fine. I'm really doing okay. I don't think you need to come. So she was like, okay, just, you know, keep me updated. And um, so it was 6.40 when the, the pattern of my contractions got super intense. I started feeling this urge to push. And so I actually got up out of bed um, and was holding onto my husband by his neck and just kind of swaying side to side. And I was like, I'm feeling really pushy, <laughs> like really, really pushy. And so it actually was like two minutes later after that, that my water broke. And funny story, and I only knew this after I had gone back and looked back at all of the um, text messages that my husband had sent to our midwife the first time around with my first son and the second time with my second son. Both times my water broke, it was 6.55 p.m. on the dot, both times. What are the chances? Of that? <laughs> That's super so crazy. Cool. 
<laughs> yep. So um, have a thing for 6.55 p.m. And it, <laughs> this the same way. It was never like this, oh, little trickle, trickle. It was like, no, full on huge gush. Like, I'm so thankful that my water has never broken out in public because I would be mortified. Like, I know they're like, oh, like, you're not even going to be thinking about it. But no, like, I was at home and I was like, oh, my gosh, because like water's breaking everywhere on myself, on my husband, like all over the floor. Um, It was just like a huge gush. And so it was just insane, like how fast it was all happening. Um, I had kept waiting throughout the course of the day. I kept waiting for things to get harder but they never really got that much harder. And I don't want to say that because I, I know not everybody goes through very easy labors, but it, I mean, it really didn't. If I kept waiting for things to get more painful or just kind of harder to, harder to deal with, and it really didn't ever happen. But one of the key things that was a difference was I never had back labor for my second labor. Um, so even though that I knew that my baby was you know, not in the best position, um, I didn't have that same back labor. So I actually got to experience what it felt like to rest in between contractions, which was really nice. And so my uh, water broke at 6.55, my midwife made it over around 7.15, and then my doula was about 10 to 15 minutes um, behind her. And, um, you know, I told them, I was like, I want you to check me just so that we know where we are because I I really feel like I need to push and I don't wanna push too soon, but please don't tell me. Um, you know, how much I'm dilated unless I'm close to 10. Like I don't, I didn't want to feel that defeated feeling like I did the first time around uh, if I wasn't as far as I thought I might be. So the midwife comes running up the stairs. Um, She's checking me and told me like, you know, hey, like I think I want you to flip on your side, lay here for three more contractions and then we'll see where we go from here. Um, And then without me knowing, she flashed, like she she, um, kind of put up her hands and flashed her hands to my husband to show him the number nine, that I was really close um, without me seeing. And so after those next three contractions, she checked me again and said, okay, you're complete. And I was like, what? (laughs) What? I was just complete shock. Like, I couldn't believe the words that she was saying. I couldn't believe I was at a 10. She's like, yeah, you can start pushing. I was like, what? (laughs) Like, I knew it. I felt it. Like, I needed to push. But I just couldn't believe that this was happening. And so again, we, with the home birth, we had actually planned a water birth for both my first, um, first baby and second baby. So we had a birth pool. My husband started, you know, quickly trying to get it filled up, almost did not get it filled up in time, but as soon as it was ready, I jumped in, um, and the water felt so good. It just kind of made things feel so much better. Um, and then I changed my meditation soundtrack to the pushing soundtrack um, and was, you know, listening to it. It was telling me like, move like a cow. So I'm like making these low sounds, keeping my mouth open and relaxed, trying to move like a cow. Um, and then literally five or six pushes and he was out. It was insane. I, I couldn't believe like this actually happened all in one day and how quickly, you know, I, I thought that I might be pushing for a long time. And it was just a couple of pushes and he was here. So um, my second son uh, was actually, he was a little bit smaller. So he was seven pounds, 12 ounces, 20 and a half inches long. So about a half a pound smaller than my first probably. And I think it was like a half an inch shorter, um, which I probably attribute to my COVID diet of like, we cooked a lot. We weren't going out to eat as much. So, um, uh, and 
yeah, I had him. I actually ended up with a second degree tear. I mean, I didn't feel it because I was in the water, but my midwife got me, um, they got me out of the tub or I'm sorry, out of the pool, got me onto the bed, stitched me right up. Um, placenta came out, no problem. And it was great. Like it was such an incredible feeling. I couldn't believe that it happened. It was crazy how fast it went. It was 17 hours from my first contraction that morning until he was in my arms. So definitely way better than six days of labor. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. And he actually came out anterior. So I, at some point, I have no idea when, but at some point he did make the rotations he needed to, to flip around um, during labor. So it was great. I got the V back and the home birth, or, yeah, V back and the home birth and the water birth that I wanted. Um, and it was great just kind of being able to go straight from the pool because we had the, the birth pool set up in my room. We went, you know, straight from the pool over to my bed and I got to see, you know, I got to hold him and got to see all of like his measurements being taken and seeing my husband getting to weigh him and cutting the cord. And like, I remember all of those things and I have all those memories that I didn't get to see or didn't remember from the first time around. So it was great. At what point did your older son get to come home and meet his little brother then? Yeah. So, um, my, let's see. So my first, so my, my son was born at eight fourteen that night. So we sent over some pictures and called my parents and things, but he came back, um, the next day. So it was a Friday. So they brought him over on Saturday, um, in the afternoon and my husband's family also came up to visit as well. So it was, it was not a very good first, um, meeting my, my, my one-year-old was like, um, I don't want anything to do with this little baby. So I, oh, he's no. like, he, he literally pushed him away when we were like, this is your brother. And he's like, uh, I don't want him. Don't care. Can I go play with my toys now? It's just <laughs> so, like, I'm just going to get back to, to my life here. It's fine. Yep. Yeah. So it was definitely a process of getting him used to you know, the baby and like to the point where he's like, oh, I'll, I'll, I like him now. Like, I'll give him a kiss on the head. Like it, it definitely took some time. <laughs> what did that postpartum time look like? Just, I mean, beyond the first couple hours, even the first couple weeks or months, how did that yeah. look, especially compared to everything and all of the emotions from your first birth? Yeah. So my, um, well, just to mention about postpartum for my first birth. So it was so difficult it was just difficult coming back home to the place where like I thought I was going to be delivering my baby and you know it's not like oh I didn't have him at the birth center it's okay like I don't have to live there <laughs> like coming back into the space was really hard at least my family had you know clean between my family and the midwives they had cleaned up the birth pool and everything they'd kind of put our house back together but it kind of hit me like once I saw the box of supplies that were supposed to be used for my home birth it was so triggering like I had to put it up away in the closet um because it was pretty hard to see that but just in terms of physical um recovery you know I had gone through so many days of labor um unmedicated and then so my body was just kind of recovering from that and then also on top of that a c-section so physically it was rough like I did not start to feel any better really until like 12 weeks um so it's it like was you a were recovering a... from birth experience yeah because you had gone through the entire labor and then everything with the c-section so your body was recovering from more than 
anyone who chooses to just have an elective C-section or having just a labor. I mean, that's a lot to go through. Mm -hmm. It definitely felt like this like double whammy. Um, So that was, that was physically difficult. um, But my husband was amazing. He, I, I did not change a diaper for my first son until probably like two months old. So literally my husband was amazing. He was doing everything he could to just allow me to rest and recover. And he's like, you just feed the baby and then like, I'll take care of the rest. So he'd bring him to me when I needed to feed him. And then, you know, his, um, we had my mother-in-law that came up for, I think two weeks and she was really helpful. And really all I had to do and focus on was like recovering, getting better, feeding my baby when I needed to. Um, but he really kind of took care of the rest. And so that was great. And then with my second um, son, the recovery was, um, it was definitely like way easier. It was definitely easier than the first time, but it wasn't like, it still wasn't easy. (laughs) So I mean, I still, you know, I had a second, second degree tear that was pretty painful. Um, it just kind of hurt to sit. (laughs) So that made things difficult, but you know, not like it was just so much easier than the first time around. And with COVID and everything, we did have family come up for a little bit, but after that, um, after the first couple of weeks, we were really on our own. So like with our first son with family living in the area, we would have people coming over all the time. We had friends come over, but with the second, um, we just really had help those first, I think two or three weeks. And then after that, we were on our own. We just wanted to keep everybody safe. We want to keep baby safe and all that. And so we didn't have any, um, any other visitors or like any other help come over. Um, which was really hard. Um, I, you know, at this point, like you also have a toddler (laughs) who you need to take care of plus a newborn. And so in that sense, things were, things were difficult. Um, but I will say, um, I'm not sure if you were going to ask me a question about breastfeeding, (laughs) but like, (laughs) but I, I did want to share a little bit about that too, because, um, so kind of with my story, like I had two babies pregnancy wise who I had super easy pregnancies. Once it came time for the birth, like both of them were still posterior, but totally different outcomes with that. And with my breastfeeding journey, um, both of my babies had really bad lip and tongue ties. Uh, The first time around obviously didn't know as much. Um, So I actually still saw a whole lot of um, lactation consultants just trying to like make things better and try to figure out like how to get him to feed without causing me extreme pain. Um, so like he did really well when we were in the hospital with feeding, but then when I came home, the it was just excruciating to try to feed my first son. Uh, so we actually saw lactation consultants for a while and that wasn't really making a difference. And then um, it was mentioned to me like, oh, you should probably try to go see um, someone to get his lip and tongue tie clipped. And we did that around like seven or eight weeks. It honestly was, we waited too long. Um, He had kind of gotten used to feeding in a certain way. And so um, by that point, like clipping the lip and tongue ties didn't really make much of a difference afterwards in terms of him feeding any better. Uh, And so 
we actually made the decision to stop breastfeeding at nine weeks. And then we made the switch to formula. I had a lot of issues with um, just having like nipple vasospasms. I'm not sure if you've heard of that or if anybody Mm -hmm. um, who's listening. Yeah, it just, it was like Russian roulette. Like I never knew which feeding was going to be the one that was going to cause me so much pain that I you know, wouldn't even be able to hold my baby. Like I, it would make it hard to breathe. I would just have these excruciating like spasms through my breast that felt terrible. Um, and so I, I couldn't even hold him against my chest without my chest burning. And so at that point it was really interfering with my ability to bond with him, um, just to hold him even. And I wouldn't be able to hold him for hours. Like sometimes when I'd have these spasms. And so like all of that kind of led to making the decision to just switch to formula. I was like, you know, even pumping would still give me the spasms. I tried that for a little bit, but it just wasn't, it was not good. Um, and so it was really hard, you know, in my head, I was like, I'm going to breastfeed till like at least six months, like probably a year. And then to kind of be met with these issues that I didn't foresee being um, issues for us once um, we got home. But it was really, you know, one of the lactation consultants saying like, if it's interfering with your ability to bond with your baby and like quality of life, like you have to take that into consideration. And it's not worth it if you can't even hold your baby. So that's where we kind of were with breastfeeding with my first son. My second son, um, because um, because lip and tongue ties are genetic, I was fully anticipating that my second son would also have the same thing, which we were right. Um, and just to make a note about the first, um, the first time around. So when we actually went to go see the doctor to kind of take care of clipping my first son's um, lip and tongue tie, they actually asked me if they could take photos to document it. They're like, this is the worst that we have ever seen. Like we've never seen ties as severe as this. So they're like, can we take photos to kind of like document for our internal purposes and things like that? So it was, it was pretty bad. So I was kind of going into my second delivery um, and postpartum kind of anticipating the worst again and again like my second son's lip and tongue ties were pretty bad they were not as severe as my first son's and um and what I did differently this time was like I knew like we are going to get this fixed right away like as soon as we can I I really wanted to be able to breastfeed I wanted to have things go differently than they did the first time and so we got um actually did water laser for my second son um and we did that the earliest we could do it was two weeks old. So we had that taken care of when he was two weeks um, and slowly, very slowly, but surely um, the feedings got easier and easier and less painful. But like the first week that we had him, I I thought that I wasn't going to make it. It was so painful in the beginning, but I just kind of tried to push through to the two week mark when I knew that we were going to get his um, his ties fixed. So, um, yeah, after that, things were great. We're actually, so I mentioned he's five months old now. We're actually still breastfeeding. So that is um, a, definitely a success story in that case. And, yeah, it's, it's, it's just so interesting how both babies were posterior. One ended in C-section. One ended up in, you know, this natural, like, 
water birth, both babies had these up and tongue ties, but because I knew what to do differently the second time around, we're still able to breastfeed um, with my second son. I'm glad that you said that because I think having that knowledge and obviously having the experience like going through it yourself, but sharing these stories and this information so that other women can hear that so that if they are having Mm -hmm. trouble those first couple of weeks with breastfeeding and it's really painful or they're experiencing whatever symptoms of tongue and lip ties, because those, those are more common than I think a lot of people realize. And I think sometimes breastfeeding problems just get dismissed and it's like, okay, well you can just pump or you can just give your baby formula. When if you, if you want to try these other things before you go to that, not that there's anything wrong with pumping or anything wrong Mm -hmm. with giving formula, but we, I think we're just so quick to just jump to that and not actually look at what's going on. So bringing that awareness to tongue and lip ties. And I know that's something that we experienced with my son as well. And I don't think he he was probably around six weeks old, if I'm remembering correctly, mm-hmm. when we went in. But we had to go to two different places because we yeah. were getting differing opinions. And some people were saying like, oh, no, he's fine. And others were like, no, this is he has a tongue and a lip tie that needs to get lasered and resolved. And mm-hmm. then we did a lot of the um, the exercises afterwards, like stretching his mouth out so that there wasn't that reattachment. And Um, we didn't personally do this, but I've heard a lot of people talk about doing like oral facial therapies and different things Mm -hmm. like that to, to continue working on those different restrictions. But I think just the overall theme is you, you just do what you know with what you know. (laughs) And if you don't, (laughs) when you know better, you do better, you do different. And that knowledge piece and having the support in place to explore these other options and do your research and just having people around you who are there to hold space for you and and support you and however that looks for you is really really important and can make a really big difference yeah the 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 one thing that i definitely want to share with whoever is listening is like it was hard for me until i actually got my v back <laughs> it was really hard while i was pregnant just kind of knowing okay like this baby is still posterior, like, is the same thing going to happen again? But I was in a whole bunch of like different message boards and things of, you know, for the VBAC for, or for women who wanted a VBAC. And then once people got those VBAC saying like, it can be different, like hold out hope that you can get the VBAC that you want. And so I was kind of skeptical. <laughs> I was like, I hope that I do, but like, I don't know if it's, if I'm going to be able to experience this VBAC like other women um, have been able to, but really like what I learned and what I want people to know is that when people say that every birth is different and every baby is different, it's true. Like even with the similar circumstances of having both of my sons being persistently posterior, both with bad lip and tongue ties, we had two totally different outcomes for both of them. Um, so really just trusting that things can be different, um, that your first baby is not the same as your second, is not the same as your third, is, you know, all of that. Um, for me, like I, going into my second um, labor and delivery, I was really holding on to the affirmation that like God didn't build me broken. Um, my body knew what to do. But for whatever reason, the first time around, the situation led to an outcome that I wasn't expecting, but that it wasn't because my body was broken in any way. 
Like my body didn't fail me. It just happened to be a series of of unfortunate events that led to a C-section, but it wasn't, it didn't mean that there was something wrong with me. Mm -hmm. Um, And so really like how it has shaped me now is that like, you are no less a mother just because of how your baby is born. Like birth is just the beginning. It's definitely an important one, but how you bring your baby into the world is not indicative of the type of mother that you're going to be to that baby. So um, just trying to like keep the positive mindset that things can be different because um, it, you know, was definitely the case for me when I had situations that were so similar that I thought, how can this be different? It was different. Thank you so much for sharing You're welcome. your stories. There are yeah. just from a couple of things that you mentioned, just a couple of things I want to go back to um, just to, I guess, explain a little bit more or just give mm-hmm. my personal insight to. So one of the things you were talking about was just like having those coupling contractions or a really irregular contraction pattern and that early urge to push. So just for anybody listening, sometimes that can be an indicator that baby is in a funky position or that is maybe in that posterior position, just because that's usually your body trying to turn baby or trying to help baby turn and get into a more optimal optimal position. Um, So that's just something that I've seen just in some of the women that I've supported that even without doing like a, a vaginal exam, something that you can note is your contraction pattern or what you're feeling in your body. If you're feeling that urge to push, but you don't think you're quite all the way dilated yet, those can just be signs that um, doing things like you were talking about, like the the forward leaning and doing sideline release or doing the cat cows and different things like that to help help your body help baby move into a better position. And then the the vitamin C thing, I'm so glad that you brought that up because I mm-hmm. I will admit I haven't done a ton of research about this, but I am in a group on Facebook that's all about like high dose vitamin C. I, I don't know if I want to use the word treatment, but um, mm-hmm. people doing that during pregnancy to help build a really strong amniotic sac so that mm-hmm. you have that cushion for baby as long as possible. Because typically after that breaks, baby is a little bit more settled into their position if they're if they're engaged. And then like you were saying, baby loses that cushion where they're able to turn a little bit more easily if they do need to rotate a little bit more before they start descending. Um, mm-hmm. So that's just something if anyone's interested in looking into that, that's like I said, I haven't done a ton of research into it, but I have seen different birth stories where people have taken high doses of vitamin C throughout their pregnancy and that they like some stories are like, oh, baby was born and call or my water didn't break until I was he was literally born in the next push. Mm-hmm. So it was like right at the end of labor. So I just find that really, really interesting and kind of cool. And then my last thing, <laughs> when you were talking about how when your midwife checked and then flashed your husband that the number nine (laughs) and then had you lay on your side for three contractions my guess and i don't know if you know the answer to this but my guess is you maybe just had a little bit of a cervical lip on that side Mm -hmm. um so that's something that those peanut balls can be really really magical (laughs) in helping um or even just like laying on your side or stacking pillows between your knees or whatever you have available to you um, but laying on the side that that lip might be on or just where you have that little bit of cervix left because um, mm-hmm. that's going to help your your baby put pressure on that side of your cervix to help that side completely dilate. So 
that's something I see a lot of times with if people, especially um, if women have an epidural in a hospital setting, they use the peanut balls in the hospital a lot of times. And then that's kind of why they flip back and forth so that you have that even dilation on both sides. And so baby's mm-hmm. putting pressure on both sides. So just a couple of things as you were saying them, you you were explaining everything so beautifully. So I didn't want to interrupt you as you were talking. <laughs> no. um, yeah. But just a couple of things for anybody listening who's maybe experienced those things or if that kind of sticks out in their brains as they're in labor, it just might be something that they can do just to help the process along. So thank you again for everything is there anything else you can think of you i like i said i think you explained everything beautifully that was wonderful no i i think that's it i just really would encourage women especially if you're pregnant right now or thinking about a future you know pregnancy and considering the option of home birth after you've had a cesarean definitely feel encouraged to you know obviously making sure it's the right choice for you and doing your research and everything but feeling empowered to know that like your body can do this and um, to really go for it if that's what you're looking for. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Home Birth After Cesarean podcast. Make sure to subscribe, leave a rating, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. If you're interested in sharing your home birth after cesarean story, send us an email at hbacpodcast at gmail.com. See you next week.